Well, good morning. It is, it is good to be with you this morning. My name is Rick Smith, and I have the privilege of um, serving on staff here at Watermark in the equipping team. And um, I'm going to share something with you. I brought something this morning with me that, that, that makes me a little anxious, okay? And so I, I brought it with you. I want to open it up. I want to share it with you. I want to live in the light. And so I, I brought it. Now, now, what's on this paper makes me really anxious. Not, not just kind of in a jokey pastor t- trying to tell you a story kind of anxious. I mean, it really makes me anxious. Like, I mean, I, I, if, if you knew me, you were to call my wife, ask her about it, she would tell you what's on this paper right here makes me shake. It, it, I've confessed this to my community group. In fact, just two days ago, I asked them to pray for me for what's on this paper. And even printing it off this morning made me a little fidgety. You may be going, man, what happened? Is he getting sued? Is, is his wife leaving him? Are these divorce papers? They're not, by the grace of God. It's something far more anxious than that for me. So on this paper is a, this is my itinerary for tomorrow, my receipt for a plane ride that I have to take tomorrow. And so I am, you laugh. For you, it's funny. For me, it's not funny. I have a um, incredible anxiety of flying on an, on an airplane. I, I, I mean, I fly a lot. I, I, you know, we travel a lot, but for some reason, every time I get on an airplane and even the, this is a trip tomorrow that we're going to our in-laws in Colorado. And even just the anxiety of thinking about this flight tomorrow is making my, my morning anxious. It's just making me anxious, even thinking about being on this plane. And I don't really have a bad plane story. You know, sometimes people that are afraid of flying, they have this, this story where the plane you know, was shaking all over and going up and down. I, I wish I had one of those just so I could not sound so weird. Um, I, the only weird plan story I have is, is, is a few years back, my wife and I were going to Miami and we we're sitting behind this guy who was just weird, okay? And I mean that in a very Christian-like way. He was just a strange guy. He kept getting up and he would pace the aisle like this. He'd go, and go, and, and I'm like, Abby, I'm going to take this guy out. I, I can't even, I'm not even a tough guy, but I'm, this is going to be my hero moment. Like, I feel like this is going to be my hero moment. And he just kept going. And I, and, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I, he goes, he kept going to the bathroom. And, and, and I mean, he's a kind of a big dude. And he just kept pacing and he kept going. And so at one point he went to the bathroom. I don't know how many times this guy went to the bathroom, but he went to the bathroom again. And I actually told a flight attendant, I was like, hey, you got what? do you see this dude? Is everything cool? Like, let me, like, just give me a nod or something, you know, let me know. And so the guy comes out of the bathroom and he has, he's like, I mean, sweating, like sweating everywhere. His face is like, it, it's just a weird situation. And then he had, he took his shirt off and just had on like his undershirt, real tight, like muscle undershirt. And I'm like, what is this guy up to? And so I just kept watching him. I was incredibly anxious and we finally land. No, nothing happened. We landed and, and I leaned over to this guy and I was like, hey, bro, are you, everything okay, man? Are, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I met this girl on the internet. I'm, try, I'm flying to go see her. This is my first time to see her. So I'm really anxious about what's about to happen when I get off the plane and meet this girl. And so that's what happened. But I, but I, I don't have any, yeah. And so I, I hopefully it, it all ended well and, and they're doing great ministry and all that. But I, <clears throat> I, I don't have any scary plane stories, but, but, but when I think about what makes me so anxious, and I know all the stats, I know it's safer to fly than or drive to fly, fly to drive. I know all the stats. I got pilot friends, but there's just something about not being in control that I have a problem with. There's, I, I know that it's infinitely more safe to be in that plane than my car on 635. I know that. I believe that. 
But there's just something about me being behind the wheel. There's just something about me having the controls that make me feel a little bit like I'm in control. Makes me feel a little bit safer. And there's something about that plane, something about not being in control that freaks me out. I'm just being honest with you this morning. And I I don't know if you're like me, maybe not a plane ride, but what about life? You know, life can be, to me, sort of like this plane ride. Life can sort of spiral out of control. The thing about life, there are no guarantees in life. There are no guarantees in life. And even though today is good, tomorrow might not be. Even though today we're healthy, tomorrow might be the visit that we get where everything goes downhill. And so how do you live in a world where we have no control? How do we live in a world where we don't know what tomorrow holds? How do we make sense of that without just going home and getting drunk every night? How do you live in a world where you have no control, but yet are called to have hope? Open up your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. What I'm going to give you this morning is just five quick reminders, five quick reminders of how we're to live in a world where we have no control. Five reminders of how we're to live in a world where we have no control. And a lot of these things are going to be just reminders for some of you. And sometimes we just need reminders. And and, and let me preface this talk by saying this. I'm speaking with you, not to you today. I'm speaking with you, not to you. One of my biggest struggles is anxiety. I worry about lots of different things. And I I don't say that lightly. I, I don't know if there's anybody in this room who is a worrier, but I am a worrier. I confess that to you. That's not just me saying something. I I really worry about things. I worry about my health, my kids, my wife, my spouse, my job. I I worry about sometimes what you think of me. I'm I'm a worrier and I have to constantly go to God's word and say, God, can can I trust you? Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. And so I want to give you the first one here is that your life is in God's hands, not yours. Your life is in God's hands, not yours. Look with me, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1, it says this, but all this I laid to heart I examined it all, how the righteous and the wise and all of their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. See what he says there? He says everything, all the deeds are in the hand of God. God holds all the cards in our life. There is no guarantee that things are always gonna go well. The verse says no one knows whether love or hate awaits him. We don't know what troubles will come tomorrow. We don't know what trouble will come tomorrow. If you turn on the TV and you watch some of these um, TV evangelists, these TV preachers, they'll tell you things like, man, if you're a believer, if you're walking with the God, everything will go well for you. If you're walking with God, you'll never get sick. All your uh, barns will be overflowing. All your bank accounts will be nice. All your kids will grow up to love Jesus and they'll be missionaries somewhere. Everything will go good for you. You'll never have an argument with your wife. And if you do, there's some sort of secret sin problem. Can I tell you something? That's not biblical. That's not biblical. If some preacher tells you that your best life is now, they are lying to you. They are lying to you. As a believer, this is as worse as it will ever be. If you're a believer, this life is as worse as your life will ever be. You know, but we can know one thing. We can know this thing. There's a God who is caring. There's a God that is in control. That nothing in this world takes place outside of his sovereign, sovereign will. You know, my wife, she tries to encourage me. Well, my wife is like the greatest 
one of the greatest encouragers in my life, you know. So we'll, we'll talk about plane trips and all these things. Here's her encouragement. She'll go, I'll go, man, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous about this flight. Oh, man, I'm so nervous. We're going to hit this turbulence and it's going to shake and the plane's going to. And she's like, what are you so nervous for? I'm like, well, man, I, I don't want to, you know, be in a plane that does all that. And she's like, what, what, what's the worst that can happen? And I was like, you die. And she's like, why are you so afraid of dying? And I'm like, Abby, I'm not afraid of dying. It's that 60 seconds of like falling down that I, that I really don't want to get into too much. But she, she reminds me, she's just like, Rick, hey, look, if the worst thing happens, if your worst fear happens and the plane goes down, guess what? Better, better. It's better for you. And she, and she doesn't say that in jest. She's trying to remind me of truth. That God is sovereign, God is in control, and this life is the worst that it's ever going to be. You know, because the fact is we don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. You could pull out of this parking lot and get a phone call that changes the entire, the entire course of your life. But we have to remember that God is in charge of every, every circumstance. You know, you, you and I, we tend to make plans like we're sovereign, don't we? I mean, really, we tend to make plans like we know it all. We, we plan, we plan out vacations a year in advance. You've heard me share the story of my son. Maybe some of you have, but our first son, I remember we, we, we had never been parents before. His name's Noah, and we, we never um, had a kid before. And so what do you do? You start planning, like, what's he going to be like? What's his name going to be? Where's he going to go to school? Where's he going to go to college? Who's he going to marry? What's he going to look like? And you begin to develop this imaginary kid in your mind. How foolish is that? So we, we, we imagined, we made this imaginary kid up and then we found out, you know, a few hours after Noah was born that he was born with, with Down syndrome and it completely changed the entire course of our life. But here we were planning his entire life as if we were God. And then God gave us Noah just to remind us for well, a lot of different reasons, but one of those to just to remind us, Rick, I'm in control. You, you, you hold your plans really loosely. And so for you today, hold your plans really loosely. Make plans, you know, get on, do research, do everything that you can, but remember that God is in control and he can change the entire course of your life in an instant. Let me tell you, that change of course in our life was one of the best things that ever happened to our life. And so you trust God, you trust God and you live your life knowing that that's part of the deal, that God can change your plans in a second and you'll be okay with that. And that shouldn't cause us anxiety, that, that shouldn't cause us fear and worry, that should give us peace, that should allow us to live with some perspective. But not only is God in control, there's another reminder that we need to know is that we're all headed to the same place. That everybody in this room is headed to the same place and that is the grave. That's one thing that we all have in common this morning. Look at verse two, it says, it is the same for all. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil. And all that is done under the sun, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And then he says this, and after that, they go to the, to the dead. After that, they go to the dead. And what, what Solomon's saying is there, look, every single person under the sun, it doesn't matter if you're the richest guy, you're the king, you're the ruler, it doesn't matter if you're the vagabond, that every single person is on level ground. Every single person is headed to one place, the grave. Hebrews 9.27 says this, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. This truth, this truth puts everybody on a level playing field. It puts us all on a level playing field. And so what we got to understand is this, 
is where do we go after the grave? Where do we go after the grave? There was a, a, a tombstone, and on this tombstone, there was this little uh, saying, and it said this. It said, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am known, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. This was on a tombstone. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. And as I am known, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And so a guy came, another passerby came by and he read those words. And then he uh, wrote a little reply under that. And he said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. You know, death isn't, isn't scary. Death isn't scary if we know where we're going. Death is not scary if you know where you're going. If you're a believer, um, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five says this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And because if you're a believer, you believe this, that the, the, the sting of death has been wiped away. That, that death isn't this, this anxious thing for you because you understand this life isn't home. This world is not your home. That our home is to be with Christ. And so the question for you this morning is this, is does that change the way that you live this morning? Does that change the way that you live? Are you storing up your treasures here on earth? Or are you living in a way where you're storing your treasures up in heaven? Are you spending every day getting an opportunity to know your Savior, who you're going to spend eternity with more? Or building up your 401k? where are you storing up your treasures? Reggie Joyner, he says this, he says that in a hundred years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter is someone's relationship with God, nothing else. So in 100 years, every single one of us in this room, unless some crazy technology happens, we're gonna be dead. And the only thing that's gonna matter a hundred years isn't um, the rain, what the Rangers did. It isn't gonna be um, how, if we got our name on the side of the building at work. And 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is our relationship with God, how we cultivated our relationship with God. And so are you living like that? Because the trick of the enemy is to convince you that today is forever. And you got to know today is not forever. Every single day we wake up, we're one day closer to going to meet our Savior. And so are you spending time on the things that matters? I, I read Steve Jobs' biography. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a fascinating book. It, it's a really big book, but it is a fascinating book. It's his, it's his only official autobiography. And so in this book, he, he talks about, they, they talk about how he got diagnosed with cancer. I believe it was colon cancer. And, and, he, and he got cancer. And this guy is one of the richest guys in the world. He has so many resources. And, and they ask him like, hey, do, you know, you need to come in and see this doctor and, and let's start to treat your colon cancer. And the guy says, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so he travels to like, I, I forget the place, somewhere overseas. And he just begins to take natural remedies he, he kind of just dismisses what the doctors say, the wisdom of the doctors, and he just kind of takes up some spiritual, I think he was a Buddhist, and he just takes up spiritualism. He doesn't listen to any sound wisdom. And, and, and there's, a, there's a part of that where it's like he's thinking, man, I can do this, I can fix this. And then, and then he, after doing this for some time, he comes back to his doctors and he goes, hey, let's go ahead and do the, the, the surgery. Let's do what you said originally. And, the, and it was too late. The cancer had spread through his whole body. And I'm reading that, I'm just thinking, this guy is one of the richest guys in the world. This guy has doctors probably on his payroll. And he can't even, can't even defeat it. He can't even conquer the thing that takes him under. See, it doesn't matter, rich or poor, smart, it doesn't matter. We're all on a level playing field. We're all headed to one way. And so we have to make our time on earth count. 
We have to make our time on earth count. We have to invest in the things that matters. And so for some of you, I know this. I know when you talk about death, you get really anxious. When you sing songs about God, you get really anxious. Someone invited you here, a coworker invited you here, and you're like, man, I don't even know what this was. My, my boss asked me to come to this Bible study, and he's my boss. And so you don't want to, you kind of want to do what your boss says. So I came. And man, I don't know. You, I don't know that I'm a Christian. And the Bible simply says this. You got to know two things. One is that there's a God and it's not you. Romans 3.23 says that every person in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's, that's simple. That just means, man, there's a God, it's not you, and that your sin has separated you from God. That there's nothing that you can do, no amount of Bible studies at 6.30 in the morning, no amount of songs that you sing, no amount of money that you put in some plate that someone passes by you, nothing can make you right with God. There's no thing that you can do, but here's the good news. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the simple gospel this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you hear me talk about death and you go, man, that makes me scared because I don't know for sure that I'm a believer. The Bible says all you got to do is say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. And that's what I want you to know this morning. Here's some more good news is that if you're alive this morning, there's hope. If you're alive this morning, so how do you live in a world that's full of things that you can't control? You got to remember this, in a world full of uncertainty, there's hope. If you're alive, there is hope. Look at verse 4. It says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living knows that they will, they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more shame in all that is done under the sun. That, that, that little line there, it says there's more hope, um, there, there's more hope for a dog than a lion. You got to know when this was written, a, a dog was sort of like a rat. Um, leave that picture there for a second. A dog was kind of like a rat. It was the lowliest thing. And so what, what he's saying in this is, is that it is better to be alive and dishonored. It is better to be alive than a dog, a, a rat, the lowest of the low, than to be alive. The lion was considered the king of the jungle, the mightiest beast. And he says, man, it's better to be a dead dog, a live dog than a dead king of the jungle. And so th- this little dog right here, I, I, was try- I, I googled cute dog pictures. And this pops up. Come to my, I asked my wife, I go, hey, is this pretty cute? Is this one I should show? And she goes, that's a famous dog. And I said, a famous dog? What are you talking about? So that's a famous dog. And so I clicked this picture. This dog has 1.8 million friends on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> Let that sink in. I don't, boy, he's got more friends than all of y'all. And look how happy, he is, he is a cute dog. But here's what he's saying. This little dog right here, this cute little guy right here, it is better to be that dog than this. Too soon? <laughs> Hope not. That's Cecil. That used to be Cecil. Um, that's Cecil. Um, but here's what he's saying. That dog is alive. That little dishonorable dog is alive. The lion's not roaring no more. The dog still has the opportunity to do things. The dog still has an opportunity to enjoy life. The dog still has an opportunity the, the, the lion has lost his opportunity. You see what I'm saying? And so what Solomon is saying in this text is, man, it is better to be alive and to be the lowest. It is better to be alive with problems. It is better to be alive with bills that you still have to pay than to be the king of the jungle, to have the guy with the name on the side of the building to, to be dead. Because if you're alive, you still have hope. Let me ask you a question. I don't know 
what you came in here this morning with. I, I don't know what your home life is like. I don't know what your marriage is like. My guess is in a room with this many men that there's some guys here that you love being at work because that gives you a break from being at home. And, and, and your marriage, if we were to, we're not going to do this because this is creepy, but if we were to peek into your house, your curtains, and look in and just see what your life was like, what your marriage, how you treat your wife, how you treat your children, you, you wouldn't like that too much. And you feel like, man, my marriage, there's no hope. You just don't understand. You don't understand what she's like. You don't get it. You don't know what it's like to live with her. Man, the Bible says, God says that if you're alive, there is hope. And the very thing in your life, the thing that seems like there is no hope, when it seems hopeless, that's when hope rushes in. And so if you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I need some hope. There's an area of my life. Maybe that's health. Maybe that's a relationship with your children that you haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's your spiritual life. And you go, man, there's just no hope. You don't understand. I've gone too long this way. Man, I'm here to tell you, God is here to remind you that there is hope. In the midst of uncertainty in life, in Christ, there is hope. You know, some of you know my story. I was a high school dropout, runaway, got arrested several times, messed up many of the relationships in my life. And God came into my life and he took all the pieces, all the pieces that were broken, all the pieces that the world would have looked at and said, man, you, there's no way to put you back together again. The pieces are too broken. There's just no way. You're a statistic. And God comes rushing into that story and he goes, man, I'm going to take all the pieces, all the broken pieces, and I'm going to put them back together in a way that is even better than the original. And so if you're here today, man, listen, I know. And it feels hopeless and it feels like, it's out of control, and you got to give it to God, and you got to trust. There's hope. If you're alive and you're, and you're here, no one's dead in this room, there's hope this morning. There's hope. And so, but not only that, if there's, there's hope, one more thing, I wanna, two more things I want to remind you of. Look with me at verse 7. Not only do you have hope, but live your life to the fullest because you don't know if you have tomorrow. Live your life to the fullest in a world full of um, chaos and a world full of uncontrollable things, live life to the fullest. Verse seven, it says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking in your head, on your head. Can I give you a modern day translation? Go have some fun. Go party in a Christian way. Don't, don't, don't try to Go have fun. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you went and just had fun? There are a lot of unfun Christians. Do you notice that? Sometimes I, man, like, sometimes Christians are like, you want to go hang out? I'm like, no, I don't. I do not want to hang out. You're just not a fun dude to hang out with. You're grumpy. You're complaining about everything. Go have some fun. You know, last month we, 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 uh, Got in the car and we drove to Disney World. We did a little vacation and we drove to Disney World. I mean, it was just good for my soul, man. We went to, we stopped at a beach on the way. We went to Disney. We went to the Magic Kingdom. We, we, we played around. We rode Space Mountain. We ate some junk food. We went to the hotel pool and just watched my kids slide down that pool slide 500 times. I don't know how they can do that so many times. We just kept going. But we just enjoyed life. We just had fun. We just goofed off. You know, when is the last time that you, that you have done that? 
If you have children, when's the last time you just played with them? Um, You need to go have fun. You don't have to go to Disney World, but just have fun. Live your life. Delight in your children. You know, if, if, listen, if you're one of those parents that, that, that you're so concerned if your kids are going to get a drop of mud on the really nice floor, get over that. Go let your kids make some messes. Just have some fun. And so if you don't have kids, find another way to have fun. Go to the fair. There are four more days. Go get a funnel cake. But just have fun. This is what Solomon is saying. Go have fun. Go enjoy life. You don't know if tomorrow's going to be here. Go have fun today. Go enjoy the things that God has given you today. And delight in every day, even the boring, normal, mundane days. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. And then he says on a side note, verse 9, enjoy your family. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that you have under the sun. He says, man, go enjoy your family. Tommy Nelson said this. He says that he has had funerals for a lot of wives, that, that he has had funeral services for a lot of wives, and that every single husband, every single widowed husband has the same response, that he would sell everything that he had. He would trade all of his 401K, all of his money, all of his properties, his lake house. He would sell it all if only he could bring his wife back from the dead for 30 more seconds just to tell her one more time how deeply he loved her. Why won't you guys do that today while your wife is here? Why wouldn't you hug your kids one more time while, she's, while they're here? So this is what Solomon's saying. Man, if you're married, if you have family, everybody in here has a mom or a dad or a friend. Like He's saying, man, delight in them, enjoy them, love them. Go home today and love your wife. If you're not married, call your mom. But he's just saying, hey, you have a family that God has given you. Enjoy them, enjoy them. And then verse 10, work hard. Everyone in this, most people in this room, I think, probably have a job. And he says, man, that, that, look at verse 10. He says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom to which you're going. In other words, he just says, man, if you have a job, if God has given you a job and you're blessed with a job, man, as you drive there this morning, man, give thanks. Give thanks for that. And know this, that God has put you there. Even if you don't like your job, even if you hate your job, man, you got to go at it with another mentality. You got to go at it knowing that God has given you that. And listen, you, you, you don't want to be the guy at your work that goes and makes waves and complains and gripes. God didn't give you a job to make waves. He gave you a job to make disciples. And so you're a disciple maker wherever you're going today. And you're going to make disciples in ways that, that I can't make disciples and John Abel can't make disciples. You're going to make different disciples. And so you go to work today with that mindset that God has you there on mission. And that changes everything about it. And then finally, this, this last piece this last piece, in a world full of things that are out of your control, in a world full of chaos, you've got to know this, that wisdom is your greatest asset. Wisdom is your greatest asset. Look at verse 13. It says, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, and building great siege works against it. But then there was found in that city a poor wise man, a poor little wise man. And by his wisdom, he delivered the city. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. You see what he's saying? The, 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 the lion and the, and the dog. He says, man, you got this king, you got this guy that's powerful, but he's a dumb king. He's an unwise king. 
But then you got this little wise man, this little guy that, that, that was poor, not very noble. No one probably even knew his name. And he says, that little guy has something that the king didn't have. He had wisdom. He had wisdom. Um, so don't think that your portfolio is your greatest asset. Don't think that your house is your greatest asset. That's not your greatest asset. There are a lot of miserable, rich people. You know, I think even, you just got to turn the news on for five minutes. I, you know, you, you watched the news last night. What do you see? Lamar Odom. What a tragic story. They, they found him at a brothel on Found him at a brothel, lying face down, foaming at the mouth in his VIP suite. He's on life support right now. I mean, how do you go from playing for the Lakers, having a TV show, to being found in your hotel brothel with foaming out the mouth? Like, you just don't even get it. The guy had assets. The guy had money. But what he didn't have was wisdom. Wisdom will save your life. Wisdom will keep you from jumping off the ledge. Wisdom will save your life. Wisdom is the greatest asset. So how do you get wisdom? What is wisdom? Let me tell you real quick. Wisdom is just simply this, applied knowledge. It's applied knowledge. So first you got to have some knowledge. Where do you get knowledge? You get knowledge right here from God's word. You spend time in God's word. You come to church, you hang out with other guys who love God's word and you get, you get knowledge. But then knowledge isn't enough. If you used to watch the old G.I. Joe shows, knowledge is only half the battle. You have to apply the knowledge. So you get knowledge, but then you apply it. And how do you apply it? You get in community. You get with other people who know you that go, hey, man, this is something I see in you. This is something I don't see where you're being God's best. And you, help, you let them help you. you. You be honest. You get into a group in just a few minutes. When you break, you, you actually share. When someone says, how's your day going? Like yesterday, someone says, how's your day going? I go, man, can I be honest with you? It's not going very well. I'm feeling anxious. I'm getting on this plane. Like, I'm just not having a good day. You got to say that kind of stuff. That's okay. That's okay. Applied knowledge. Do you believe that? Do you believe that wisdom is your greatest asset? Do you really believe it? Or do you think just a little bit more? Solomon says, hey, you have to believe in a world full of chaos and a world full of things that you can't control. Wisdom is going to be the thing that you long for. And maybe not today. Maybe when you're 80. But God's reminding you today, wisdom is what you long for. Listen, this book's not going to give you a guarantee in life. This book isn't going to promise you the best life now. But what this book will do, as Tommy Nelson says, it will give you an edge. It will give you a way to live life that's different than anybody else on this planet. This, this book doesn't give you immunity, but it gives you an edge. So you got to know this, that God's in control. We're all headed to the same place, that if you're alive, if you're here today, there is hope for you, that we are to live life for the fullest, and then we're to view wisdom as our greatest Asset. You know, most of the people that you bump into today as you go to work, they're not going to have this kind of edge. They're not going to have this kind of axe. But if you, if you do these things, even in a world full of things that you can't control, you can have an edge. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, man, that if we're alive, if we're here today in the sound of my voice, that you have um, you've given, you, you've given us hope. And God, we don't want to let tomorrow and the unknown rob us of the joy of today. And so would you help us to trust you today? Would you help us to live like, really, like today is our last day? Help us to enjoy the friends, the family that you've given us. Help us to look at our jobs in a whole new way today. And help us to trust you. And, and, and help us to, 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 to long for wisdom because we don't long for wisdom. Would you help us to do that? Help us to take your wisdom and then apply it and then to live it out. 
I pray for these men. I thank you that they're here this morning. I pray that you'd bless uh, their time with their group. In Christ's name, amen.